study. Good to see you tonight. Good to be here. I'm going to pray, ask God's blessing on our time, and get going with the study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just the revelation that your Holy Spirit brings. We thank you that he is here tonight. We thank you that he indwells us, and we thank you, God, that he brings truth in into our lives. So we ask you, God, that your Holy Spirit would bring your revelation Pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight. Pray that we're open and ready to receive what you want to say and what you want to do in our lives. God, I pray that uh, you would help us to uh, really check attitudes that need to be checked tonight, uh, that we would really uh, examine ourselves and allow you to make changes in us. And I pray, God, that this would be a night where we would grow some, that we would mature some, I pray, God, this would be a night where uh, we hear you for what you're saying and allow you to do the work you want to do in our lives. So we ask you, God, for uh, just the power of your Holy Spirit, have his way. Uh, change us. I pray, God, that as you say, uh, old things pass away, all things become new. I pray for some new things tonight in our lives. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can go up to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Lori wanted me to pass on thanks for your prayers for uh, their work last week as they were uh, doing their prayer walks and prayer ministry in Tuba. So uh, she wrote me again especially to say thanks for that. And so thank you. Yeah. Thanks for supporting that. John chapter 3, and I need a volunteer to read verse 30. Thanks. That was good. That's John the Baptist talking and talking about Jesus. And he's speaking uh, mainly to his disciples. They had been had a concern that they were watching Jesus grow in popularity and watching John 
began to diminish in popularity. Uh, John, understanding, had been the spiritual superstar uh, before Jesus started his ministry, and so people had come from all over to see John. They'd come from all over to hear him. They'd come from all over to be baptized by him. Uh, he was a recognized prophet, and so he was just, he was somebody. He was Christian famous. <laughs> and uh, and so so his disciples had come up, and they said, well, what, what about this Jesus? And so John had been very clear about from the very beginning, if you look at the ministry of John the Baptist, uh, he was very clear from the very start. He said, there's one coming after me that's greater than me. And he had made that clear to everyone, publicly. And so his disciples who had followed him probably heard him say that, but probably didn't hear him say that, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, they may have heard the words, but I'm not sure that they really internalized what he was saying, because these people, these these guys had left all. They had left who they were, what they were doing, in order to follow John, and they'd put their eggs into his basket. And so, even though he said from the very start, he said, there's one coming after me, he's mightier than me, I baptize in water, he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit with fire, I'm not worthy to carry his uh, sandals. I mean, he made all of these statements. So this wasn't something new that was coming up. This was something that John had known from the very beginning. And it was also something John had said from the very beginning that this is what was going to happen. And so it was understood, at least by John, that this is the way life was going to go for him. This is the way ministry was going to go for him. This is the way popularity was going to go for him. This is the way things were going to happen. But for his disciples, they probably had a hard time with that. Because to them, John was a prophet. John was a great man. John was somebody that people had come to to hear and were still coming out to hear and still coming out to uh, be baptized and still coming out to repent. Because all those things are still taking place. And so, uh, so regardless of what John had said, what they were still seeing was something that they wanted to see. That the guy that they had backed, the guy that they were following, the guy that they had submitted to discipleship to, uh, was still going about the work that God called him to. And so they were concerned about Jesus, but Jesus wasn't, you know, Jesus was just going about what the Father had called him to do. John was going about what the Father had called him to do. And that's exactly what was happening. And so this was John's response to those disciples that were so concerned about it. He's like, yeah, well, I have to decrease. He has to increase. He's making it clear. There's something important about what he was saying there, John was fully satisfied uh, with his place and work. And, and, that, and that's a fact. You see that in the life of John the Baptist, and you see that through the message that he's giving. He was fully satisfied with his portion, what the Father had for him. And so he was fully satisfied with going about what the Father called him to do. He was going about it. He was still going about it. He was preaching uh, the repentance, and he was uh, he was preaching baptism for the remission of sins. All these things that were happening, cleansing, and preparing the way for Jesus. That was his job, was to prepare the way for Jesus. So now Jesus was coming on the scene. His job was done, pretty much. You think about the work that he was called to. The work he was called to was to make people ready, make the way ready for Jesus. That had been prophesied already. It had been prophesied hundreds of years before that that would be the work that he would do. 
And so in fulfilling that word of prophecy, which is exactly what he was doing, he had done, obviously done, a good job. And he had gone about what he was called to do, and so his work was done. And he was filled with joy in that, in the sense that he had done his work. And, and, and there's something kind of interesting about that, is that there was no disappointment in John as a result of comparison. Now, that's important you understand why he would have been disappointed. The only place of disappointment would have been if he compared himself to Jesus. You follow what I'm saying? Because he had gone out and he had done what he was supposed to do. He had gone out and he had prepared the way. He had gone out and he had preached. He had gone out and he had baptized. He had gone out and he had rebuked. He had prophesied. He had done all the things he was supposed to do. Jesus comes on the scene. The way is ready. Everything is set. Everything's where it's supposed to be. And Jesus begins his ministry and moving forward into his ministry. John had done his job and he had done it well. And so all he had to look and say, this was my portion. This is what I've done. This is what had been prophesied over me 400 years beforehand. This is the work that I was called to do and I've done it. And he took joy in that. He didn't compare himself to Jesus. Why? He's not Jesus. Right. And there's a there's this weird thing with us as people. If you begin to compare yourself to not you, follow me, it leads to disappointment in your life. It just does. You start looking at other people. And you say, well, look what they did or look what they've got. Well, that's not you. It's not you. You gotta get a hold of what's you. You gotta get a hold of what's for you. You gotta get a hold of your portion. Not that person. That's their portion. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about that guy over there or that guy over there. Don't worry about it. You've gotta get a hold of your portion and you gotta live it. That's what you need to do. Otherwise, you're gonna live in a constant state of disappointment, frustration, and bitterness. Those are all resulting from comparison to others. And you always have to remember when you're tempted to, to compare yourself, you're tempted to compare your life or compare what you've done or not done or the rest of that kind of stuff is, that person is not you. There is no comparison. In that scenario, they're the apple, you're the orange. These are apples and oranges. They came from somewhere else you didn't come from. They have different experiences that you don't have. But most importantly, the will of the Father for them is different than the will of the Father for you. And you need to get a hold of what that is for you and do it. And live it. And find your joy in that. So he did compare himself to Jesus. And so he had no disappointment. And that's the text of the forerunner's life. That's what it is. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was the forerunner. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was preparing a way. He knew what he was supposed to do. He went out and he preached. He prophesied. He did what he was supposed to do. That was it. He found joy in that. And that's life. That's the text of the forerunner. That was his job. 
And, and we need to find joy in what we're called to. We need to find joy in, in God's purposes for our lives. We need to find joy. Instead of trying to make something up or trying to make our life look like somebody else's, we need to get a hold of what God has for us and do it. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. You just got to get a hold of that and you need to do it. You need to live it. And you find your joy in that. You're not that person. You're not this person. You're not the person over there. You're you. And God has His purposes. He has His plans for your life. Get a hold of it and live it. There's joy in that place. As I've told you many times, this this uh, portion of Scripture, when I was traveling, uh, and I would travel pr- almost every week, and I'd do one to two services on a Sunday. Sometimes I'd do just a morning service. Sometimes I'd do a morning and evening service. But as I was traveling, that was one of the ways that I supported myself. I was working on college campuses, wasn't making any money from college campuses. I was going church to church, and I was trying to raise support, monthly support from churches. And so I'd be at the church, I'd hit them up for monthly support. Hey, could you give me 10 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month, 10, 20, 25 bucks a month, whatever you can afford. Uh, this is my information. I'd give it to them. There was a system in place for them to send money to with their other missionary offerings. It was, it was all set up if they were willing to do it. And so I'd have to go to these churches and I'd have to say, okay, this is my vision, this is my call, this is what I'm doing. If you kind of catch a hold of that and you want to be a part of that, you want to partner with me, come on, let's do that. If not, that's okay. But I'd at least get paid when I was there. And so when churches would have me in, some days it'd be a lot of money, some days it wouldn't be a lot of money. You know, I was happy most days when it covered my gas to get there and get home. But that was one of the ways that me and June had to live in order to support ourselves. And so we went out just about every Sunday, went to a church. It could be across the state. Sometimes we'd have to go on Saturday nights, so we'd be there on Sunday morning. Most of the time, we're able to just drive right from where we live, get to those churches and preach, and then go to a different church, preach that night, and then drive home late. Get home some nights, uh, late Sunday night, early Monday morning, a lot of times when we get back. And so that was just life. That's what we were doing. But whenever I'd be on the road and I'd be sitting in front of a church, we'd be worshiping or whatever, you know, they'd have me up front usually sitting in one of the, they had velvet, red velvet thrones sitting up on a platform. And so the pastor gets the big one in the middle. And a lot of times the assistant pastor or worship leader gets one of the thrones. And then the guest speaker gets another throne. So I got to sit up there a lot of times. And so I would sit. And uh, it'd be during worship most of the time. I'd pray this prayer. I'd make this my prayer. I'd say, God, I need to decrease and you need to increase. I pray I decrease, you increase. And it was just a simple prayer. I prayed almost, uh, and every time I remember, but I w- I'll say almost just to be careful with it. But pretty much every time that before I get up and preach, that's what would be my prayer. And, and, and it was in my mind and it was in my heart. It's like, you know what, even if they forget who I am, forget what I'm doing here, forget anything about me, that they would remember you and they remember what you say to them. That's more important. And that was the attitude that over a period of time I just learned to foster, to be able to minister and be able to be used by Him. And God did some great stuff. I mean, great things, awesome things on the road. I mean, we saw people healed, delivered, 
We saw all kinds of miracles happen, signs, wonders, people falling out under the power of the Spirit. I mean, all kinds of great things happen when we're on the road. All kinds of great things. Some days we'd be there prophesying over people for up to two hours after a service, sometimes more. There'd be that many people just standing in line waiting to receive word. And happy to do it. Happy to do it. And so that reputation, you know, just was all throughout the state of this is what happens when you have somebody come in like this. So it was good. It was good. But that was my prayer. And so this is like a really personal uh, verse for me. God used John as a prophet. And, and he was a prophet. And it made him famous. It made him famous. It, it, he was respected for who he was. And he was considered, I mean, you look at uh, when they talk about John and they talk about the way people saw him. People saw him as a prophet. And that's pretty highly respected in that time and in that place. And so they saw him that way. They saw him, he was respected as a prophet, he was respected as a man of God, he was respected as someone that was preaching and teaching and all of those things. And and so, here's I'm going to break down that little prayer for you. The little prayer goes like this. You see, he must increase. Talking about Jesus. He must increase. What that means is that he must appear continually more and more glorious. That's what needs to happen. If he's going to increase, he needs to appear continually more and more glorious. So that's the first part of that prayer. That's the first part of that, what John was explaining to his disciples. He must increase. He must appear continually more and more glorious. Second part of it is that I must decrease. I must gradually wane and decline until I disappear. So he needs to continually appear more and more glorious. I need to wane and decline until I disappear. That's what John had to say about that. Now understand he's famous. Understand people are following and seeking him. Understand that everybody knows who he is in that region. Understand people are traveling for miles, miles and miles just to see him, just to hear him, just to be around him. That's what's happening in the life of John. He's famous. He, he's a spiritual leader. He's someone that, that people look at and then they respect I mean, he's in a position, if you look at his ministry and what he's doing, he's in a position where he's rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's how much power he had. That's how much influence he had. That the, 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 the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were, the, they were the, the known religious leaders of the day. John had more power than them. John had more authority than them. John had more influence than them. The people respected him more than they respected them. That's why when, when the Pharisees came out, and you remember what John said to the Pharisees? Who warned you? And why did he call them? A brood of vipers. So your family is snakes. You know, your mama's a snake, your daddy's a snake, you're all snakes. Alright? That's what a brood of vipers is. And he's like, you guys are, you're a family of snakes. He's calling the Pharisees a family of snakes. Right? And these guys would normally be the ones that everyone is, 
you know, bowing down to. They'd be the ones everyone is looking out for. They're the ones that everybody's afraid of. They're the ones that, that everyone is giving deferential treatment to. But not John the Baptist. He's just standing there like, you, you get people a family of snakes. Who warned you about what was coming? Why are you out here? Now, all right, so understand that his influence was that great among the people. That great among the people that he could say things like that to people in power. He could speak to power like that, a religious power. He could speak. He, we know that he rebuked the, the king of the time, that he'd already rebuked him, told him that what he was doing was wrong. Who speaks to the king like that? Well, John the Baptist did. Because he was someone of power, authority, and influence in that day and age. So it makes this statement even more strong. And I want you to think about that, how strong the statement is. He's saying, I, you know, he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. In other words, he's speaking from a position where he's speaking to kings. He's speaking to a king. He's speaking to Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. And he's telling them exactly what he's telling them. Without regard for any kind of reprisal, anything else, he doesn't care about that. The people are behind him. The people are listening to him. The people have come from all over the region to come and hear him and see him and be baptized by him. Even the Pharisees were coming out to be baptized by him. And it's from that position he stands there saying, yeah, well, I need to decrease. In other words, I need to wane and decline until I disappear. Understand the power of that? I mean, understand the power of that, that, that he's in, he is at the, he's at the top of his game here. Alright? He's at the very tippy top of his game. When you're telling kings what for, and you're telling the religious leaders what for, you're at the top of your game. And it's at the top of his game, he's able to say, yep, I need to wane, and I need to disappear. Because Jesus needs to be more glorious, and he needs to increase. He understood. He understood that regardless of popularity, regardless of what people are saying, regardless of the power that he's wielding, regardless of anything else, he had a job. The Father had given him a purpose and a plan for his life, and he had done it. He had done it. That was it. And so he was joyful in that and understand too that this isn't just and this is kind of an important point this isn't just what must happen because i think a lot of times we look at things and say well yeah that had to happen well yeah i mean it was his prophesied yep it was god's his father's will this is what was going to happen but it's more than that he, he didn't just look at it as like, well, this has got to happen or this must happen or whatever, you know, you want to think about it is. In other words, it, don't look at it as something that couldn't be prevented because I don't think he saw it that way. How I think he saw it, and, and more importantly, is that it was just and it was agreeable to him. That, I think, is more important. That's the attitude. Not that, oh, this has to happen. Or this is just the way things are. I'll accept it. You understand the difference between those two things? Just accepting the way things are because that's the way it's got to be. All right, that's one way of seeing it. But he saw it more as this is just. This is right. 
and, and he was agreeable to it because he understood his role and he understood what he was doing and he understood what he had been called to and he understood the Father's will in his life and he understood what it was that God had for him. All right. Well, good then. This is the right thing. This is the just thing. This is the agreeable thing. This is the best thing. Not just what has to happen, but the best thing. Not just, oh, I can't prevent this. I might as well go along with it. No, this is the best thing. Because it's what the Father wants. It's what the Father has. And really changing that attitude in our lives from, oh, okay, well, this is what has to happen. I can't prevent it. I might as well go along with it to, I believe and I'm living it out that this is the right and the just thing and I am agreeable and I can find joy in it. That is a switch in attitude. Right there. Is to be able to find that kind of joy and to find that kind of agreement with what the Father has. And so I... I'll talk to you about a right attitude because you see this right attitude. And and the idea behind that attitude is that it is fit. It is fit that Jesus should increase. It's fit that I should decrease. John the Baptist speaking. And he's able to rejoice in that. Now, why is it fit, though? Well, it's the Father's will. Why else does it fit? Well, who's Jesus? Who's he declared Jesus? He says he's greater than me. Why is Jesus greater than him? Do you know? He was one who was the Well, right. And but what else was about Jesus? What did he understand about Jesus? He understood. Okay, I baptize in water. What's he going to baptize in? Holy Spirit with fire, right? And so he describes him as someone of power. And he says, but I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. So what does that speak of? Well, that speaks of Jesus, something else about Jesus, right? That speaks about Jesus, who he is. Not just his power, but it also speaks about his character. It also speaks about who he is as a person. He's like, I'm not even worthy. He's so much better than I am. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Now understand again, he's at the top of his game. Everybody loves John. Everybody's out there coming to see John. He's at the top of his game. Nobody's more popular than John. But what's he got to say? I can't even carry this guy's sandals. He's that much more awesome than I am. And he believes that. And he's infinitely greater. He was infinitely greater than John. Infinitely greater in dignity, knowledge, and revelation. I mean, he knew more than John. He knew the Father more than John. He had more revelation, greater revelation, bigger revelation than John had. John understood that. Yeah, and he was greater in dignity. In other words, I can't even carry his sandals. In other words, who's John? John is frail. John is a guy. John is whoever John is. John is a hermit. John lived in the wilderness. John wears camel's hair. John wears a leather belt. John eats locusts and honey. Yeah. So John was all these things, all right? But in comparison, and and, and this is the right way to compare things, but in comparison to who Jesus is, all right, in the right way, he knew, nope, not me, that guy. He's 
more. And that's the way it's supposed to be. I am who I am. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I'm joyful in that. I'm not him. He's all this. I'm not even wearing the carrier's his sandals. But that's okay. I did what I was supposed to do. I've lived the life I'm supposed to live. I've performed and done exactly what God gave me to do. He's a prophet. He prophesied. He's a preacher. He preached. He's a baptizer. He baptized. Signs and wonders were done by him powerfully. He's spoken to the power of the day, the king, the religious power of the day. He's brought about repentance. He's baptized. In baptism of repentance, he done all these things. Everything he was called to do, he did it. He prepared the way. Made the path straight. And here's Jesus rising up. Perfect. Done. I'm done. I did what I was supposed to do. And so he could rejoice in that. It's fit that Jesus should increase. It's fit that he should decrease. And he's able to rejoice, rejoice in all of that. Somebody look up Hebrews 5, 4. Alright, so you see in Hebrews 5, 4, they're talking about the idea of the high priest. And Jesus is being the high priest. Well, he's the high priest of all high priests. Alright, and what that verse tells us is that you don't really take that honor. Like you, don't, you don't put in your resume to be high priest. And, you, you know, you talk yourself up a little bit on the resume, you know, get yourself an interview, get a good interview in. So you really kill the interview, then uh, you might get, you know, you're in consideration for it. It doesn't work that way. All right. Well, the way it works is that you get called and then you're the high priest. So Jesus was high priest, not because he, you know, his resume, but because that's what he was called to do. That's power of God. And so he was called to be the high priest. And so John was able to rejoice as the glory of Jesus increased. And that glory was increasing. You could you could see it. Because Jesus had crowds following him. Jesus was able to preach. Jesus was healing people. Jesus was coming in for healing. There were those that he had disciples that were following by this point. And so you see that his glory is increasing. People know who he is. People know his name. People are seeing him for who he is. People are starting to follow him around the countryside. People are going to him for healings. People are going to him for deliverance. People are going to him for their needs. And so they're seeing that. John's seeing that. He's like, okay, his glory is increasing. Well, he could rejoice in that. He could find joy in that. So, I mean, John, top of his game, but Jesus, top of Jesus' game was a lot bigger than top of John's game. Alright? So he's finding joy in all that. Every person, every one of us, every single one of us, every one of us, has our work and sphere that's been appointed to us from above. You have your work and your sphere that has been pointed to, appointed to you from above. Even Jesus. All right? Jesus had his work and his sphere 
that was appointed to him by the Father. And if Jesus has that, so do you. So do I. Alright, John had that. The disciples had that. Each of the disciples had that work and that sphere that was given to them from above. And I guess what I guess what we need to do is just really enter into that. Enter into that fully. To really say, alright, well this is my thing. This is what God's given me. This is that work and this is my sphere of influence. This is my sphere of, uh, of usefulness within the kingdom. This is, what, this is what it is. And find some joy in that. And find some peace in that. Find some purpose in that for your life. Is to enter into that. You know, stop fighting. Stop fighting what the Father has called you to. Stop fighting the work that God has given you to do. Stop fighting that sphere that, that God has put you in and said, okay, here, here, this is the parameters of this. This is where I have you. This is what I want for you. Stop fighting that. But instead, find some kind of peace and find some kind of rest and find some kind of joy in that, in that purpose and in God's plan. People that fight against that are never happy. They're trying to be either more or less than what God's called them to do. Alright? Okay, because some people, God calls them into something and they run away like Jonah. They want to be less than what God's called them to. And so Jonah was called as a prophet to go, go to Nineveh, do this thing, and he just ran away. He didn't want to do it. I don't want this job. I don't want to do this. And he ran away. You know the story of Jonah, what happened to him. God got him there. Eventually, but but why kick against the goads? Why just keep kicking against the goads? You're just going to hurt your shins by doing that. And, and there's no peace in that, and there's no rest in that, and there's no joy in that. And the people I've met that are running away from God's call or running away from the influence that God's given them or running away from God's purposes for their lives never find happiness. I don't know how you do it. That if we have that call and we have that purpose and we have that plan, man, it's so hard to just say no. And the people that, like I've said, that I've known that have just just said no for whatever reason, for whatever reason, just not happy. You know, well, it's not what that person's doing. Well, are you just going to live in disappointment, bitterness your whole life? Probably. It's not what I want to do. Maybe not. I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little secret about me. This isn't necessarily what I want to be doing. I'm just, it's the truth, okay? That if I had my choices from way back, you know, before I was called and stuff, I had different plans for my life and this wasn't it. This wasn't even on my list of things to even think about doing. This wasn't, I mean, I grew up, at least partially when I was real young, I grew up in a pastor's house. My grandfather was a pastor. And it's when I was young, but I still remember the headaches that guy had. I still remember all the trouble that guy went through with the church he was, he was a pastor of a church for 40 years, same church, 40 years. And all the trouble that they gave him. During the time I was there, listening to my grandmother, listening to him. It's a unique perspective to be a little kid in a house like that. 
to see what goes on. Because, you know, you got the public persona. Everybody's happy, right? And then you got the private things that happen at the house when my grandmother is freaking out about something. My grandfather is trying to calm her down and there's arguments going on as far as what's happening at the church, what's not happening at the church, what's happening with the board. This guy's out to get you that deacon. He doesn't like you. Whatever it is. Craziness. So this was not on my list of stuff to do. I mean, not. Not. And I can say pretty confidently the same thing for June in that her parents were key people, key elders, leaders in their church back where they're from and and knew the inside in and going in and out and everything. And one of the things that her mom, one of the biggest problems her mom had with me was that I was in ministry by that time. And she's like, you don't want to do this. Talking to June, you do not want to do this. And so there was this, this, I, you know, this, this place. It's like, well, do I want to do this? Not really. Does she want to do this? No. Does she's mom want us to do this? No. No. It wasn't really a question of popularity, though. Like, oh, who, who's got the popular opinion here? What should we do? It's, okay, this is call of God. And I'm going to find call of God. I'm going to enter into that purpose. I'm going to enter into that sphere and that work that God's called and appointed to me, and that's what I'm going to do. Why? Because that's the only place I'm going to find joy. That's the only place I'm going to find peace. That's the only place I'm going to find rest. And I had to come to that place at some point in my life. All right? Early. Because I still had decisions to make. I still had to do things. I was was still in college. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to graduate with. And... And all of that, and I just finally had to come to peace with the fact that what I wanted to do isn't going to be what I was going to be doing. And I found that peace, I found that rest, and I made the decisions I need to make. I don't regret it. I don't regret any of it. And I don't want you to get the idea I regret it or you get the idea I'm living unhappy or something. I'm not. It's just not what I would have done. It's not the decision I would have made. It's not my preference. But I can't think of a better place to be than right in the middle of what God has. And I want to encourage you as someone that understands maybe this is not your first choice. I get it. I get it not being your first choice. But I also get that it's the best place. It really is. It's the best place. And there is peace and there is joy there. And there is fulfillment there. And there's a real reason for taking hold of what God has for us. Taking hold of that work and taking hold of that influence that God has appointed to us. Because that's the place that God has. That's the place of life. I don't know how anything's ever perfect. It just is what it is. And so we make our choices. We live the way we're going to live. I've watched people make other choices. I've known people called into missions. I've known people called into ministry. People called into different things. And they've just ignored it and walked the other way and done something else. I don't really have anything to say about it. 
but I do know I know enough of them over time that many of them regret those kind of decisions. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, whether you rejected it, accepted it, did it, didn't do it, whatever the past is, it's the past. You still have a decision to make that, okay, I, I want to do this, I'm going to do this, this is what God has. This is what God wants, this is what God has apportioned for me. This is my portion. And you find your rest and you find your peace and you find your joy and you take it up. Because included in this is the true process of a disciple. This is the process of a disciple. What do I mean by that? By that I mean that Jesus increases in us as more of us decreases. Okay, and that's internal. Now, I'm just saying that the internal understanding of this, what happens in us, that's the process of discipleship. Is that that, that part of us that, that is becomes less and less and Jesus becomes more and more. That Jesus increases in us in glory and in influence in our lives. And so in order for that to happen, for Him to increase in glory and influence, that, that we need, our inner man needs to decrease. And that's how we become more and more like Jesus. Because I think you kind of understand that the process of discipleship is becoming more and more like Jesus. You kind of get that? Well, then, then this should make obvious sense. And maybe it's just too obvious and you guys already know this, but that, that's the process is that if we're going to become more and more like Jesus, then He's going to increase in glory. He's going to increase in influence in us. And then we, our inner man, is going to decrease. You know, the inner man, the one that whines a lot. You know, that one. Kind of two-year-old us. Yeah. That just keeps saying no for no reason. That us, you don't understand. You've been around two-year-olds. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you go, you know, babies go from being really cute and then they go into the two-year-old stage and they're like saying no all the time and then they just become sociopaths, uh, like around two and a half, three years old. And then you gotta train them up and then they get better, hopefully, and, uh, then they go to school. Alright. It's kinda how it happens. So, the little two-year-old us needs to decrease. Or the sociopath, us, needs to decrease. And Jesus needs to increase. Jesus needs to increase in us. That's the process of discipleship. We diminish. Because our purpose is to point people to Jesus. And I'm not talking about your special snowflake purpose. I'm talking about our general purpose is that we're to point people to Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to diminish those of you that do evangelism on a regular basis on Saturdays, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the less of you that's in it, the better it goes. I mean, really. And, and that's kind of a weird concept, but the less of you that's really you know, all worried and all self-conscious and all looking at yourself and all worried about X, Y, or Z, the less of that and the more of Jesus, the better it goes. Because that's our job is to point people to Jesus. 
And so the less of us that there is, the more of him that there is, the more we're going to be and the more effective we're going to be at pointing people to Jesus. And ultimately, there has to come a point, I believe, in us where we can reach this, this place where we're, we are okay if people see us as nothing, as long as they honor Jesus. And that's a place of humility. That's a place of being humble. That I'm willing for people to see me as nothing as long as Jesus is honored. See, all of these things really fight against everything the world tells us. Things we learned in school, things that people say are important or part of our psyche or, you know, it, it really fights against that. And in a very human, natural way, that makes sense. Because in a very human way, if we're trying to build ourselves as humans, we're trying to build the inner man as, as a human being, yeah, what I'm saying doesn't make any sense. But I'm not trying to build the inner man as a human being. I'm trying to let that part of me diminish so that Jesus can increase in me. And so in the same way, John, he, he spoke of this and then he demonstrated this physically. I mean, he's a real person. Jesus is a real person. He really diminished. Jesus really increased. I mean, all those things happened. I'm talking about something that goes on inside of us now. That, that all of those attitudes and what you see happening between John the Baptist and you see Jesus, those are real things, but those are also things in us that need to be taken care of. Because if they're not taken care of, then we, keep, we struggle with pride. What do you know about pride? I just said this yesterday. God does what to the proud? Does he, does he embrace the proud, or what does he do to the proud? He resists. He resists them, right? Yeah, God resists the proud. Who wants, and like I said yesterday, who wants to fight God? Who? What kind of losing situation is that? I'm going to fight God, yeah. Well, go ahead. It, there's no way to win that. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really a mark of someone who's been in a lot of fights to know when they're not going to win. Okay? you got to know when to step away. Sometimes you can't, but you got to know when. If you can, you got to know when to step away from things. And this is one you need to step away from. So God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. All right. And so that speaks to us that this is a process in us that, that pride needs to be really, needs to be stomped down in us and humility needs to rise up. There needs to be less of me and more of Jesus. And so if we're going to recognize our, our place, we're going to recognize the point of what God has called us to, we're going to recognize the place that God has for us, we're going to be effective in that, we're going to be effective as people, we're going to be effective in the things that God's called us to, then there needs to be less of us and more of Him. And and you can look at him and say, all right, well, he's what? Big, he's infinitely better. 
Go through the same process that John the Baptist went through. Look at him. He's infinitely better. He, he knows more. He has greater revelation. He has more dignity than we do. So less of us, more of him. What does that mean for us? That means greater revelation, greater understanding, greater knowledge, and more dignity. Why? Because there's less of me and more of him. He's infinitely better than us. Infinitely greater than us. It's a win for us to say no to whatever it is in us that we think so awesome to say no to that and just take hold of something that we know is really awesome. Him. Him. And that's the process. The same process that John went through. The same process that John declared. The same process that he told his disciples. He said, this is how this is done. Is the process that's in us becoming a disciple. But having the same type of attitude, having the same type of understanding, having the same type of the ability to say, less of me, more of him. That's going to take some humility on your part. But it's strategic. It's strategic. And it releases power, anointing, and effectiveness into our lives. My agenda becomes less and His agenda increases. My righteousness diminishes. His righteousness increases. My love that I can produce decreases. His love increases. So much better. So much better. So much better to see Him increasing in and through our lives. So much more effective. I want to take a few moments to pray and and just take some time to uh, really take inventory of where you're at. If I'm speaking to pride tonight, you might not even be hearing me. Alright? That's alright. Maybe you'll hear this again sometime and you can hear it. And if that's you, that's you. I'm not mad about it. I'm not upset about it. I just know that there's a better way. I know there's a better place. And so I can only just present that. I can only just say that. And try to give as many examples as I can. And hopefully you can hear me. And if you don't hear me tonight, maybe you hear me one day. And maybe that process will be taking place in your life where you're seeing less of you and more of Him. I hope so. I just really believe God has so much more for you and for me. I believe that if we could take hold of that which has been appointed to us, that portion that God has given us, we can be so much more effective. That He can be glorified through our lives so much bigger and in so many more ways. But we need to be willing to decrease. We need to be willing to disappear ultimately. And say just more Jesus. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that uh, you, you understand where we're at. And there's some of us here, we're just not, we're not in that spot. Just not in that spot. 
that John the Baptist was in when he's like, well, he's got to increase, I got to decrease. We're just not in that spot. We just can't, we can't really put our, put our mind around that. Just can't wrap around that one. So God, I, I pray your blessing on those that are here that just really can't wrap their thoughts around that, can't really wrap their, their heads around that, God. But I pray for those of us that really can begin to take hold of this. I ask you that you would help us in this process, this process of discipleship in our lives where, where we decrease and you increase. This process of discipleship where we're not so worried about other people's opinions or worried about being a people of power or being a people of influence like that. But we're way more concerned about you being glorified. So that we can diminish that you might increase. So that we can fade away that you might be more and more glorious. Yeah. I pray God that we would uh, just make allowance for your work and for your power in and through our lives. I pray, God, that as, as you would speak to us, I ask that you would open up hearts, minds, eyes, ears to your purposes and your plans for our lives. I pray for each of us as individuals that we begin to move into whatever revelation we have of that, however big, however small, that we would be a step into that and we'd find our place in that. Not too worried about what the next guy is doing, just concerned about being in the right place, doing the right thing. Because that's your will and that's your purpose, that's your plan for us. Not trying to make something up, not trying to make something fit our plans, but actually just taking hold of what you have. Even if it's not our first choice. Taking hold of your purpose, your plan, your will for our lives. Even if it's not our second choice or our third choice, embracing, embracing our portion that comes from heaven. Thanks, God. And I pray that we would allow your work of discipleship to be done in us. We say yes and amen to less of us and more of you. We give you thanks tonight. I pray, God, that whatever things that we've erected, barriers, safety nets, whatever, I pray, God, that we would live after you with abandonment, not worried about all that stuff. We give you thanks tonight. We give you thanks. And we make this our prayer. Increase while we decrease. We ask it in Jesus' name. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. Mm -hmm. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. 
so yet painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community. Like the comunidad. No, yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen.